Hey, well, there's a story where there once was a man. He was a good man. Right, Ethan? He was a good man. And, uh, and this man, he made a living off of trading. He made a living off of buying and, and, and selling and, and, and trading with people. Every day he'd get up and he'd walk to the road and he'd walk to the road that comes into town and he'd, and he'd sit on the road and he'd wait for people to come in and he'd wait to buy and to sell and to, and to trade with people. This is how he made a living. And he was, he was a good man. He was a kind man. He was generous. He gave to the poor. He helped people. And he was nice to people. He was kind. And he worked hard at what he did. He worked hard to, to make a living. But, but this day that he went to work, as he walked out and as he sat down and as he waited for people to come in, this, this day, he thought that it would be a normal, typical day of work, but, but he didn't know that this day, this day his world would be turned upside down. That the way he sees the world, the way he understands the world and people would be turned upside down. And so as he was going about his typical work day, people started coming in and he's doing his thing and trading and buying and selling and and all of a sudden, he notices a person coming down the road. And he notices this person, and it's a person that he knows, it's a person that everybody knows, and everybody knew him as the collector. And so it's the person that, that he knows. And, 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 and walking in this collector, he's walking from, from person to person, doing what he does. And as he walks from person to, co- to person, and, and the collector is approaching, but the, but the man is watching him, and, and the man... His attitude, as he's watching him, his attitude and his demeanor quickly, quickly and clearly turn from, from, from joy and generosity and kindness as if with a flip of a switch turn from those things to anger and bitterness, rage, burning anger. See, because the, the, the collector, the collector was a sellout. He was a traitor. At one time, this, this, this collector, he, he may have been a, a friendly neighbor. He may have been, may have been someone who, who you would invite over for dinner to hang out with your family and, and to have to eat with. But now, no one could even imagine spending five minutes with him. In fact, this man, he, he grew up with the collector. He grew up uh, hanging out with him and hanging out with his family. They grew up they grew up playing games together and, and going to school together and they did everything together. They spent holidays together and they continued to do this as they grew older. And so they were close friends. They, they, they did everything. They talked about life, the good times, the bad times. The joys and when, when life was hard, they shared everything and they trusted each other like they trusted no one else. They spent hours talking about life together. The collector was, was part of the people. He was, he was family. Even. But, but once the, the people came in and conquered this place and took over, he betrayed everybody that he knew and loved. He sided with, with the foreign enemies and, and pledged allegiance to their ways and to their rule, becoming an enemy of his own people of his own family who he had grown up with and loved and cared about. The collector now worked for the enemy, taking money from his own family for this foreign power. 
And as if being a traitor and a sellout wasn't bad enough, the collector was notorious for taking money and pocketing some, for charging more and pocketing some. This is how he became rich. See, the collector was a wealthy man. He had a big house and a big mansion and, and everything that you could imagine. He had lots and lots of money, but he did it because he cheated people. And so this man, watching the collector approach, his once good friend, he's watching him walk up, taking money, going from person to person, asking for money. And he notices him as he takes money, he splits it up. He splits up the money and, and right in front of them, he puts some in a pouch that, that would go to the government and he puts some in his own pocket. Cheating people, clearly. So the man looked at his former friend with disgust. And as they made eye contact, as, as, as the, the collector approached, they, they, they made eye contact and they locked eyes and no longer were their eyes met with with, with joy and friendship. Instead, it was made clear that, that he was nothing, full of nothing but anger and bitterness and hate and disgust for this man. This was a look that the collector had become all too familiar with. It was a look that he had gotten often. And just as they were about to speak to one another as he walks up, just as, about to, as they're about to talk to one another, the crowd comes running by. And there's this great commotion and people start running in an opposite direction, running towards, out of the city, towards someone who's coming in. And they run and they're screaming and they're saying, come on, come on, it's the teacher, he's coming. Come with us, let's see the teacher. See, everybody knew about this teacher. This teacher was, was an incredible man who they heard great stories about. He would do incredible things. He would do great miracles. And he would teach with authority. And so everyone wanted to see this teacher. And so the com great commotion comes and people are yelling and they're screaming, but, but the man stands there and he's, he's watching his former friend, the collector. He's stand there and all of a sudden the collector drops everything he has. And he runs in the opposite direction. And he goes away from the crowd, away from the commotion, and walks away. And he stops at the bottom of a tree. The crowd still pressing in closer to the teacher. The teacher still walking down the road. And the collector, stopping at the bottom of the tree, begins to climb. One hand on a branch from the foot. You guys know how to as he climbs the tree, he's watching behind his back where the teacher's coming. Watching intently just to get a glimpse of his face. If just to see what he looks like, what he's about. And so he climbs the tree and he sits in the tree. And as the teacher walks, finally he sees him coming, sees him approaching. And he sees his face. He sees what the teacher looks like. He's so great. And all of a sudden, as the teacher approaches, uncoincidentally, as if on purpose, the teacher looks up. He looks up directly at the collector in the tree. He stares into the eyes of the collector. 
And this man watching this happen, he's watching everything happen and he notices something different. He notices that the stares of the teacher, that the eyes of this, te- this teacher, they're different. Unlike the, the, the eyes of, of, of disgust and anger and bitterness that, that he had received all his life, that he was used to seeing, unlike the, the, the look that he had given him before, Instead, the teacher's eyes were full of grace and compassion. And it was clear that he was different. He seemed to even oddly care about the collector. And amidst the chaos of of, of trade still happening and crowd yelling and people screaming and people running in and pressing in and pushing and trying to see the teacher. I just want to touch him and I just want to hear about him. Would you heal my son and would you do this? And it's, it's crazy and it's loud and everything's happening. But then as if a moment of silence, as if time stood still, the teacher is staring up into the tree. And to the surprise of everyone watching, the teacher calls him by name. Zacchaeus. It was a quiet, a soft voice. One that seemed to, to, to know who he was talking to. He was confident in, in, in the person standing in front of him. He knew him by name. He said, quickly, come down. I need to stay at your house today. It was offensive. It was scandalous. There was nothing co- confusing. Why would he do this? The people watching were, were grumbling with, with bitterness, right? Why would this teacher talk to this sinner? The man watching was, was flooded with, with emotions of, of rage and confusion and, and envy. Why? But at the same time, He also, he noticed that the steady compassion and grace of the teacher. The compassion and the grace in the teacher's eyes. And he began to stir in his own heart something different. It was a confusing moment. How could this teacher, this great teacher, want to be with a sinner like this? It seemed like this, this teacher didn't even see him as a sinner, but, but something else. And as Zacchaeus climbed down the tree, he climbed down and he began walking with Jesus. And as he walked with Jesus, he told him, I'm going to work at giving all of my, my, my goods, my, the things that I've collected, I'm going to give them back to the poor and the needy and the people who need it. And he said that I'm going to pay back. If I've taken anything, I'm going to pay back four times what I've taken. If I've taken from people. See, Zacchaeus, he, he turns from his sinful and hurtful ways. Turned from the ways he's cheated people. He surrendered himself to Jesus, to following him. Without a, a prompting or a command from Jesus, he repented and he turned. Jesus welcomed him with grace and love 
when everyone else looked at him as a traitor and a thief, it's the grace in Jesus' eyes that led him to repentance. Jesus saw him first as a child of God. That's how he was known. Not what he had done, not how he had messed up. That wasn't his identity. And Jesus knew that. He saw him for who he really was, an image bearer, image bearer of God, created in God's image, fearfully and wonderfully made, despite the choices he had made. That's what drew him to surrender. Guys, and this is where we go wrong. This is where for so long the church has gone wrong. Guys, the truth is that in our world today, in our culture today, it's pretty safe to say that all of us in here have some kind of opinion, have some kind of, of, of touch of interest or perspective with, with, with the idea of homosexuality and LGBTQ+. All of us in here. Whether that's personal or, or a family member or a friend or, or maybe you've just heard about it and watched from afar, you, all of us have heard about it. We've understood, we, we've listened. And, and I point out the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus on purpose. I point this out because this is where I think we need to start. With how Jesus loves people. How Jesus sees people. And, and you might be looking for, for answers or, or an opinion, or you might want me, want me to stand up here and give you my opinion. But I don't want to do that. Because this isn't about solving an issue. This is about loving a person. That's what Jesus is about. We're so quick to respond with, with hate, with disgust, with, with labeling people. Guys, and, and, and the church, again, I, I said it, the church has done a horrible job of this. The church either chooses not to talk about it or, or the church chooses a side. Remember the us versus them we talked about? The church chooses a side and, 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 and chooses, they get lazy. We get lazy and we choose a side because it's too hard to work through grace and truth. So, so it's, we got to choose a side. It's either, okay, do whatever you want or it's either you're going to hell, one or the other. But there's a third option and it's love through Jesus. Guys, with this story as a foundation, with this in mind, I want us to look at how we can love people. Because this is what this is about. It's not about being right. It's not about being right or wrong or, or solving a problem. Man, this is about loving people well. There's a person in front of me. It's not an issue to solve. When the world labeled Zacchaeus as a sinner and a traitor and a thief, Jesus saw him as love. And this is what we have to understand first as our foundation before we can talk about this topic. So you have to know this, that you are loved. That's your fill-in tonight. That's your only fill-in. That's the only thing on your outline. Because, and that's on purpose because you are loved. You can feel free. There's lots of blank space to take notes. And, and, and honestly, guys, like, there's so much that we could talk about in this. There's so much that, so many questions, so many things, but this is just to start this conversation. 
But the first thing we have to understand, and, and the point of this is that, number one, your identity is that you are loved. God loves you. That's where we need to find our identity. It's not in what the world says about you. Your identity is not what you struggle with. It's what he says about you. See, our, our world says that if, if you struggle with homosexuality or, or this LGBTQ stuff, the world says that, that, that that's your identity. The world labels you as that being your identity, but that's so far from the truth. The truth is that you are a child of God. That God loves you, that he's created you in his image. And this is how Jesus sees you. Just like he looked at Zacchaeus with grace and love, this is how he sees you. And we have to understand this before we can walk into this conversation. This is why this conversation is so hard. Do you get that? Our world says that, that if, if, if you are gay, then that's your identity. And, and then if I, if I choose, to, if I come and tell you that that's not the way God designed it, then I'm not, I, no longer am I telling you that the way you're living is wrong. I'm telling you that you as a person are wrong, that your identity is wrong. And that is the reason that this is so hard to walk into. We have to first understand that our identity is that we are loved, that God says you are a child of his. That he's created you in his image. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He may have been living against God's design, but he saw him as loved. You're not what you are you're not what you're what you struggle with. You're not defined by what your sin is or what you struggle with. You're defined as a child of God. Genesis 1:27 says this. We're going to jump through a few different verses. They're not on your outline. You can write them down and look them up later. But this is what God says about you. Genesis 1.27, so God created man, what does it say? In his own, come on, we can read this together. God created man in his own image. God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. From the beginning, God created you in his image. We have to understand that that's how he sees us. That's how we're called to see other people. Romans 5.8 says this, But God showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Do you see that he proves his love for us that while we were running from him, while we turned our back on him, he chose to die for us on the cross. That's how much he loves you. That's what he thinks of you. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Somehow we think that, that, that this idea of homosexuality is such a different sin. Somehow it's, it's such a worse sin. But the Bible says that we all fall short. That's falling short. Yes, that's falling short of God's design. But the Bible says that we all fall short of God's design. And it says, but, but in God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sin. All of us are justified by Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us, not by anything that we do for ourselves. We have to understand that we are loved and we are made right in his sight because of Jesus. Romans 8, this one's longer. This is the last one I give you. I can give you a million of them, but this is the last one. This one's longer, but I love it. It says, 
Uh, it says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or, or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And we could add in there, we could add, does it mean that he no longer loves us if we run from him or if we're gay or if we're straight or if we, if we love people or if we want, like we could add in there a sin after sin after sin, but it says no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced, it says, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor, nor demons, fears of today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, you are you get it? This is your identity. This is what God says about you. Rest in this. Know this. Own this as your identity, not anything else. This is how Jesus sees you, and this is how you're called to see other people. So wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you're about, whatever choices you make, know that God loves you. And if you're struggling with this, same-sex attraction, if, if you're in a relationship, if you have friends that are, if, if you have family that is, what, whatever the case is, know that you're loved and that you're welcome, that God loves you and he wants you a part of his family. Can we, can we know that? Can we rest in that? And then the, the fact that that's where identity is, that's where we have to start. Knowing that that person in front of me is a person that God loves and created and has a plan for. All right, now with, now with that in mind, with that as our foundation, we're going to quickly, really quickly, look at what the Bible says about this idea, okay? I'm going to give you some verses. We're just going to go through this quick. I might answer a couple questions, but truthfully, guys, this is just to start the conversation. Start the conversation of how we can love people, of what this is about, what the Bible says, what God says, and the truth is that God said he, he, he loves you. He cares about you. So let's do this. Take a deep breath with me. Ready? One, two, three, in. Good. All right. We can let it out. We can relax. All right. This is a tough topic, but, but this is what we're walking into together. You are loved. Our goal is always how we can love people. So what's God's design and desire? God's design and desire is this. Genesis, it's, we can see it from the beginning. Genesis 2, chapter 24. He says this, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Guys, God made sex. God made male and female. This is God's design and desire for marriage. This is how he's designed marriage to be. This is his plan. This is de his desire for us. And because sin entered the world, it distorted it. It's distorted our, our, our vision and, and the way we see it. I mean, I could go through story after story of how, of how we see. Go read Genesis 19. Write it down. Read it later, okay? Uh, we can see how, how sin distorts sex and sexuality. Later on, Jesus says something about this too in Matthew chapter 19. He's asked a question about marriage and divorce. And Matthew 19, he says, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They recorded 
that from the beginning, God made them male and female. Remember, we just read this. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and joined to his wife and two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. What's he doing? He's pointing back to God's design and God's desire. He's pointing back to what God has for you, the way God designed it in the beginning. Because sin has distorted it. And so Jesus says, no, look, at the beginning, this is the way God designed it for it to be. Clearly, this is God's design. I've got one more. that We could go to a bunch, but I don't need to throw a bunch of things at you. So Romans 1 says this. This one's longer too. It says this. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Guys, this sounds a lot like our culture today. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made, made to look more like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. Let me read that one more time. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result this of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Listen, I don't need to repeat what it said. What I will point out is the root of what he's saying. He said they, they turn, and instead of worshiping the Creator, they worship the created things. This is the root of the issue. We've forgotten God. And not only have we forgotten God, We've tried to replace God. We've made things God. We put things in place of God. We put created things in place of God who created them. That's not where they belong. That's the root of the issue. This is, we do this with everything. I mean, we, do, we can talk about this with sex and sexuality, but we can talk about this with anything. This is the root of the issue. Let me just say something. And this is very countercultural right now. If I said this in culture, I'd probably get attacked. People would hate me. Okay? But listen, your feelings are good. Your feelings are good. God created your feelings. They're good. But your feelings are not God. Your feelings are good, but your feelings are not God. That's, that's the problem. We put our feelings and these things where God should be. Sex is good, but sex is not God. Sexuality is good, created by God, but it's not God. As your, your identity is that you are loved. Your identity is not in how you feel. Your identity is not in sex or sexuality. 
Your identity is that you are a child of God. We have to put God first and worship Him first. Don't put created things where created things weren't created to be. That was confusing. Say it again. Don't put created things where created things weren't created to be. It's a really confusing way to say we place them with God. So, last thing that, that I want to talk to you about. Actually, there's two more things, but we'll be quickly. Is there a difference? There's, there's, there's questions and, and, there's, and there's things that, that t- people talk about. Is there a difference between same-sex attraction and same-sex practice? That's a question that I've heard. It's a question that, that, that's a valid question. Is there a difference between same-sex attraction and same-sex practice? Let me make this clear. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. And, and, and the reason I know that is because if temptation were a sin, then everything we believe about Jesus would be a lie. Jesus was tempted. Go read it. It's like John something, like first few chapters, right? Jesus is baptized. And then the, the Bible literally says the spirit, the spirit of God led him into the, into the wilderness to be tempted. Go wrestle with that one for a minute. That's weird. Jesus was tempted, but, but he didn't sin. Temptation becomes sin when we act on it. Temptation becomes sin when we choose to act on it. I had a friend uh, from, from Sunshine. I worked with Sunshine Ministries uh, for a few years. and I had a friend from, from Sunshine Ministries, uh, and, and he was a boat driver with me. And he one night shared with us how his whole life he had had feelings of same-sex attraction. And he opened up and he talked about it. And how he struggled with it for his whole life. It wasn't something that he, that he chose to have. It just That's just how he was. And, and, and so he talked to us about it. He asked us to, to hold him accountable, just like we would ask him to hold us accountable. And he admitted to it. And, but, but he chose to make the decision and the commitment to not act on it. To, to surrender it to God. To surrender those temptations Jesus. And, and the cool thing, I haven't talked to him in a, in a little bit, but, but man, what's so cool, he's now engaged to a woman and they're pursuing Jesus together. Gosh, isn't that such a cool picture of Jesus's grace and love? How he, how his redeeming power, how he can turn something that sin has distorted back into his design. Gosh, that's such a cool picture of the way God has created it to be. And so there's hope. Gosh, but, but, but be honest. Be open. There's people that love you, that care about you, that want to help you. Man, and, there, and, and if you know someone who's struggling with this, man, be there for that person. They need help. This is how we love people like Jesus does. This is God's desire for our life. So what does this mean for us? How do we respond? Jesus says this. For all of us, he says this in Luke 9, every single one of us, he's talking to all of us, gay, straight, transgender, whatever, all of us, every single person in here. If you want to follow Jesus, he says this, this is what you have to do. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. If you want to follow Jesus, this is his command. He says, Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them, what does it say? All, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. 
This is his call for all of us. That each of us would deny ourselves, surrender ourselves to him and follow him. Surrender our feelings, our thoughts, the things that we've put in place of God and give it to him. This is his call for each of us. Some of us need to submit to to where we've been mean or arrogant or where, where we've been prideful toward people. Guys, the, the, can I just pause for a second and tell you that this, this place, church, has to be a place. And we have to create this. Church has to be a place where people have to be okay. Where people can come and know that it's okay to not be okay. Where someone who's struggling with, with this can know that they can come and talk about it and, and, and have received nothing but love. And say, okay, let's figure out how to do this together. We're called to submit everything to him. All of us to submit our sexuality, our life, our activity, everything to Jesus. Your temptation, guys, your temptation doesn't define you. Jesus does. Keep your heart open to Jesus, to what he has for you. He says that first and foremost, you are a child of God. You are loved. Have I said that enough tonight? You are loved and you're welcome here. So so tonight, guys, this is just like the start of this conversation. I know that there's so many questions that you have. I know, I know that there's things that I wasn't able to talk about. I know that there's there's stuff that you're struggling with. There's personal situations. Man, come talk to us about that. If I said something that was confusing, if I said something that, that you didn't agree with, if I said something that, that offended you or hurt you, come talk to me. Please. Come tell me. And let's talk about it. This is how we change our culture from being us versus them to following Jesus together. Can we do that together? Walk in this together. Guys, you don't have to be alone. You don't have to walk in this alone. We love you. We care about you. And you are loved. And that's what matters. Right now, the band's going to come out. We're going to sing two more songs. And I love that we're going to sing these songs. Because these these two songs fit so well with what Jesus says about you. We're going to sing a song that that says, Oh, how he loves. And my prayer and my hope for us tonight is that, that we wouldn't just sing that, but that we would believe that. That he loves you personally. That he knows you by name and he calls you by name to follow him. It says, Drawn to redemption by the grace of in his eyes. My prayer is that as we sing that, that we would see the grace that Jesus has for us. Just like he looked at Zacchaeus with love and grace, and he calls you and looks at you, calls you by name. I just want to be with you. My hope for us tonight is that we can choose to walk in this together. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you. I thank you for your grace. Thank you that, that you love us despite us. That you care about us. God, that you care about these issues. That you're not silent about these things. But you have something to say. 
Jesus, just like you looked at Zacchaeus with love and grace, and, and you met him with those things in his hurt and sinfulness, that's where you meet us. Meet us there tonight. Help us to be open and honest with, with who we are and who you've called us to be. God, we worship you wholeheartedly. And with everything we have, we praise you. We surrender to you the ways that we've been mean and arrogant and proud. Teach us to love like you love. Teach us to care like you care. How we praise you. And we give all these things to you.